Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Oh, oh. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Welcome in Fox Sports Radio studios brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. In the years ahead, UNC fans will not care about how ugly the game was. Gonzaga fans might well forget about the debacle that was the officiating in this game. But for those of us who watched the game last night and did not have fan rooting interests on either Gonzaga or UNC's side, this was as ugly of a national title game as I can remember. One that was completely taken over by the officiating. The 44 fouls, while even, crippled both teams and led to zero offensive flow. And I just thought it was an atrocious game to watch. Now, on the positive... We won both the UNC minus one and a half gamble that I gave you yesterday, and we also won the under. So I won you some money. That is the best takeaway for OutKick listeners. And I think the long-term impact of this game will be that it got Roy Williams to three national titles, passing forever Dean Smith, who finished his career with only two. Roy Williams now at 66 years old has a chance to move on to four all-time national titles, a decent chance, I would say, which would put him in the same arena as Adolph Rupp and tie him for third overall in the history of college basketball. I think this was a game that made Roy Williams a coaching icon. Number one overall, never will be touched. John Wooden has 10 national championships. Mike Krzyzewski has five. Now Roy Williams has tied 
several guys at three, among them Jim Calhoun, Bobby Knight, and the likes of those individuals. I think, like I said, there's a very good chance that Roy Williams will eventually get to four now. But again, that's for down the road, for years ahead, when people look back and try to categorize and establish and and put into perspective what Roy Williams has done as a coach. In the meantime, I think a lot of you are in the same place that I was. Last night, a lot of things to complain about. There were several blown calls. Uh, I want to hit on several of them because I think it's the number one story. First of all, Zach Collins is probably the best player Gonzaga had on the court last night, even though he's young. He got his fourth foul with around 15 minutes left in the game. That's just absurd. I mean, really absurd. Two of those calls were for illegal screens. He fouled out with five minutes left, I think. If he's in the game and he plays the full length of the game, there's a good chance Gonzaga wins. Um, Several blown calls, I thought. At the very end of the game, North Carolina was out of bounds on the jump ball. There are many pictures. I tweeted a picture out. You can go look at it. It's the kind of thing that inside of two minutes should have been reviewed. The officials 100% blew that one. That's the exact reason that they have the inside two-minute player review. I don't know how you blow that call. Clearly, it should have been Gonzaga's ball. Why does that matter? It would have been Gonzaga's ball down one with about 48 seconds to play, I believe. So that could have significantly changed the outcome of the game. North Carolina scores on that shot, uh, on that possession, makes it a three-point game, comes down, blocks a shot, game's over. So that was a massive swing that they did not even review it, and that's exactly why that position of review is in the game. So that inside of two minutes, if there's a questionable play, you have an opportunity to review it. The fact that nobody thought to review that is uh, is a real indictment of the officiating there because it seemed like they reviewed everything else. The Karnuski flagrant foul was absurd, and they really need to – and this was on Joel Berry where he kind of caught him in the face and it was totally an accidental play within the flow of the game. They need to go back to school and redefine what a flagrant foul is in college basketball because they went and looked at several of these and they were clear basketball plays. In this that situation, UNC's Joel Berry missed both of his free throws so it didn't necessarily impact the outcome of the game. But it was clearly the wrong call, and it also gave the fourth call on Karnuski. Now, you can argue that they blew that call to begin with, and I think there's a strong argument that they did. So maybe this was in some way a makeup call. They went back and they looked at it, and they said, boy, how in the world did we make the foul call here on Joel Berry? Let's go ahead and call a flagrant foul, and that way we'll have both sides shooting two free throws, and it'll cancel out. But it was a, uh, it was a really bad managed situation there. And look, it wasn't just a blown call one way or the other. UNC also got a blown call with around three minutes left in the game. I think there was an airballed three that UNC clearly didn't touch the ball on. They couldn't review whether or not the ball was touched, but UNC, sorry, did not touch the ball. It went out of bounds. It was just an airball. And Gonzaga got possession back and drained a three that put him up one. It was a big swing. So I thought the number one story was the officiating. And that stinks because when you come to the end of the NCAA tournament, you want the officials to let the players play. Now, UNC was atrocious from the field. I think the best team won. I think UNC was better than Gonzaga. You go look at their overall shooting percentage, they couldn't hit anything from outside in particular. Why were they attempting as many three-point shots as they did with the dominant inside presence that they typically had? The box score on this one was incredibly ugly. UNC finished four for 27 from three. 
four for 27. They shot 15% from three. They shot 35% from the field, and they won. That's because Gonzaga in the second half couldn't hit the broadside of a building. Gonzaga finished the game shooting 34% from the field. Now, they did shoot 42% for three, so that starts to help and balance that out. But 44 total foul calls, way more foul calls than there has been at any regulation game in recent history. And all in all, just a very, very difficult game to watch and have any enjoyment for at all. I thought the officials took it over, in particular in the second half. Now, you can come back at me and fire back and say, well, Clay, the players were fouling. And maybe that's the truth. But at some point, it's impossible to have any flow in this game. And I think the low shooting percentages came about because just about every possession down the stretch for about 15 minutes there, it seemed like we were ending in a foul call. Uh, Danny G and Robert, I'll bring you in. What have I missed? What jumped out at you last night about the uh, about the outcome of this game? You know what, Clay? I mean, obviously the main story here was the officiating. I, I think it was a travesty on both ends. And just to put it in perspective here, there were 27 fouls called in the second half alone, 11 in the first five minutes. I mean, it was <laughs> yeah. ugly. I mean, it, it, it's bad enough they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with the jump shot. But when you have that much of a choppiness to the game, it's no, you know, understanding as to why they couldn't make a shot because no one's in any kind of flow. Yeah, that's 100% the case. And by the way, starting this game at 920 Eastern, I know there are a lot of you out there on the East Coast right now, probably Central Time Zone as well, who are already up early, and you're struggling this morning. You're struggling this morning because that game went on so late. I, I, I want to open up the phone lines, 877-996-6369. I specifically don't have any guests booked in the first hour because I want you guys to be able to react to this game. Tell me what you thought and uh, and give me your opinion. But I, I got to tell you, it is absurd that they start. The NCAA on a Monday night, student athletes and all that crap, the fact that they start this game at 920. And look, I know I got a lot of people listening to me on the West Coast right now. You got to start the game at 820 Eastern. I just I think it would make a big difference if you start this game at 8:20 Eastern. There's a lot less bleary-eyed people. There's a lot less bitterness over how bad the game is on the East Coast. And I understand people on the West Coast say, "Well, a lot of us have to work." Set your DVRs. Set your DVRs. Catch up to the game, and 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 or get out of work early, because 9:20 on the East Coast for a start of this game is way way too late. It just is. Uh, if the NCAA is trying to appeal to young kids, you got a ton of young kids on the East Coast that did not get to stay up and watch this whole game. And I, I say this all the time when you go with late night starts. It's not just because I'm getting up early and we're doing early morning radio. It's because the East Coast has the vast majority of the population. And there are a ton of people out there listening to this show right now who would have stayed up and watched that entire game if they had been not having to get up at, at the break of dawn with this game going on till what did it end? Like 11.40? I think almost midnight? Way too late. Way too late. When I'm looking around at 9.20 and they haven't even tipped the dang game yet, that just doesn't make sense. Again, opening phone lines up for you guys. 877-996-6369. Congrats to UNC. Congrats to Roy Williams on number three. Gonzaga also making a strong statement this year that they could get to the Final Four, that they could legitimately compete for a championship. If there was any doubt about Mark Few's ability to do that, it has disappeared. This was anybody's game. In fact, Gonzaga was up with 220 left. 
by one point, and UNC did what they did several times down the stretch. They just took over. 9-2 run for the Tar Heels. It looked eerily similar to what happened against Arkansas. It looked eerily similar to what happened down the stretch uh, of the game against uh, uh, against Kentucky. UNC on the ropes, looking like they were going to lose, and they took over on both the offensive and the defensive sides of the ball and found a way to win. Roy Williams, his third championship, North Carolina, snagging a major win for the ACC, for Roy Williams, and for Tar Heel fans everywhere. 877-996-6369. I am Clay Travis. You are listening to Outkick the Coverage, and I want to tell you all about my friends at AutoZone. When you get it, when you put good work in, good comes out like the AutoZone Rewards Program. Spend, 20, spend $20 five times and earn 20 bucks toward the next job. Get in the zone, AutoZone. We're always in the zone here. I'm Clay Travis. Again, this is OutKick, and you're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, guys and girls, I'm trying to keep you alive. If you think a train will stop if it sees your car on the tracks, you're right. It will. About a mile after it hits you, stop. Trains can't. Going to go ahead and take a couple of your calls here. Open phone lines, 877-996-6369. Sam in Virginia. Sam, what's up? Hey, what's going on, Mr. Travis? Living the dream. Hey, man, I want to thank you, first of all, for giving us an alternative to the uh, other network. Appreciate that a whole lot. But I want to talk about the game. Everyone, they've got to start these games a little bit earlier. I mean, I got a 14-year-old son who wanted to watch it. Can't let him stay up till midnight to watch a basketball game on school night. And it's killing me. I had to get up at 445 this morning get on the road. But the officiating has just gone awful. I mean, it's horrible top to bottom. And NCAA and NBA, you, you can't even I mean, you can't even breathe on somebody anymore. So it's almost to the point where you don't know what a foul is and what a, what a, what's not a foul. And I can remember growing up hearing about officials when they even including football where they would say you know the best officiated game is where you didn't recognize the officials or where you didn't even realize they were there and now they're just such an integral part of the game that they just they may it's it's they're taking over the whole sport uh the ncaa tournament as a whole every game was just brutal to watch with 40 fouls i mean 44 i can't remember which game it was but there was one that was 46 fouls uh, that's just that's way too much. It's almost unwatchable. Yeah, I appreciate the call, and, and I agree with you. I, I think the, the primary story, the NCAA does not want people to wake up the day after the championship of their game and say, my God, there were 27 second-half fouls called in that game. And what's crazy about that 27 number is there were, if I'm, I don't think I'm mistaken in this, I think there was only one intentional foul down the stretch where Gonzaga was intentionally fouling UNC. So that means there were 26 foul calls made within the flow of the game. We're not talking about a game where you went back and forth to the foul line for the final two minutes of the game and one team was behind trying to foul to put the other team onto the line. We're talking about a situation where both teams were in the bonus, I believe I'm correct in this, six minutes into the game, in the second half. And there's 14 minutes left on the clock and you look up and they're, and they're both in the bonus. And look, I'm not saying the officiating cost the game one way or the other. I think UNC was the better team. I think the better team still won. But I think the overall flow of the game was impossible to get into with the way that it was officiated. And it was, I think, the number one storyline coming out of this game. And I think a lot of you agree with me. Let's go to Ian in Kansas City. How are you doing, Mr. Travis? 
I'm rolling. What about you? I'm rolling to the airport, man. So you know it's <laughs> an early morning for me too in Kansas City. Yeah, you know. Just, yeah, it's crazy how early. I mean, everybody's waking up bleary eyed if you're a college basketball fan because that game didn't <laughs> top off till nine, tip off till nine twenty Eastern. Anybody who's up right now, it was a uh, it was a fast turnaround last night. Yeah, you know, I've been an official for over twelve years, and I've done some low level, you know, junior college basketball. And one thing that we've always been taught as an official is to disappear. Yes, we're there. To, we're there. Number one, to keep the kids safe. Number two, is to make sure we don't dictate or influence the game. But last night, it was definitely a hurtful thing as an official watching the first eight minutes of that second half. Yeah. So tell me about that. I'm curious. You you've officiated games. It, at some point, do you gather your crew around and just say, "Man, we've taken over this yeah. game." I mean, you, you you have to say like, "We got to let them play," right? Because when both teams are in the bonus with with 14 minutes to go in the second half, I understand that. Look, they may have been uh, aggressively playing and all the fouls and everything else, and you feel like you need to call them. But you, you guys ever gather around and say, "Look, guys, I mean, we got to let them play a little bit. We can't call a foul every single play." You know, we make eye contact with each other, and we also will give hand signals to each other. Well, we will tell each other, you know, to let them play or start talking to them more. You hear officials say hands, 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 and, you know, get out of the lane, get out of the lane, get your hand out the back. So that tells us to start talking to the kids or even the adults more because we want to get a flow going in the game. But I don't know about the communication last night, but we're all, we're taught to try our best to get a flow going because as the flow goes, so does the players. But last night it was definitely a sluggish game, and I think it was slowed down because of us as officials. Yeah, I appreciate the call. Good luck on that drive to the airport. Uh, and, again, opening up the phone lines. No guest in hour one. I want you guys to be able to react to the game. We try to do this a lot on OutKick. It's a little bit different than what everybody else does. I want you guys to be a part of the show. 877-996-6369 is the number. It, it, is, it is a great point that the officials have to talk to each other and almost work in concert in terms of the flow that they're going to allow to take place in the game. I understand a lot of times when officials have to step in and rein in a physical game because there is the specter of violence hanging over the interaction, right? There's an antagonistic viewpoint of the game where guys are getting fouled hard going to the basket, where there is a, a, a discord between the two teams, where you feel like at any moment a shoving match might break out. I didn't feel like that about this game at all. I thought that UNC and Gonzaga were both playing really hard, really aggressive. They were neither one making any shots. But there was no point in the game where I thought, oh, this is getting so physical, the refs have to step in and take control of it because it might spiral into something uncomfortable where you have two guys facing off against each other, where you just have kind of the the testosterone flowing to such an extent and you're trying to tamp down on that. I didn't get the sense ever that Gonzaga or UNC were playing any kind of dirty ball. And so I didn't think that especially there needed to be the message sent early in the second half of keep your hands off of each other. We've got this. We're the officials. Let's go to Charles in Austin. Ch- Charles, what's up? Clay, how's it going? I'm, uh, I'm at, hey, doing uh, well. I'm a truck driver, so I didn't get to watch the game. I had to listen to it on the radio. And being that the officiating was so bad, there was a lot of dead radio. and It, it was just horrible to listen to on the radio. I was going to see what your thought was on the, the play-by-play. So have you been driving all night since the game? Yes, sir. Oh, wow. That's it. So are you an all-night guy? Like, that's how you drive regularly, or is this a special kind of trip? No, I just I drive a truck all, all night, and like I said, I can't 
I was unable to watch it, so I had to do the play the play by play on the. Yeah, I would the, imagine uh, that it Mark sounded Brenner. even even more frustrating listening to the the play by play on the radio because you don't actually see the fouls yourself, and they're just constantly stopping the game. Uh, it was it was ugly. I mean, for those of, uh, and first of all, be safe on the road uh, all night. Always impressive. Thanks for the call. Always impressive the number of people who call in. And when you start to get up early, like I get up early for this show, I get up at four a.m. Central every day to do this show, and I was never a morning person. You really, I got to tell you, the first couple of hours of this show come to appreciate the number of people out there grinding across the country, right? Just, I mean, getting up when the when the alarm goes off and you don't want to get up. Everybody's been there. I've been there. I'm there a lot during the week at uh, at four a.m. You roll out of bed here. You're getting up early all over the country and just grinding away. Guys driving through the night in his in his in his truck, listening to the game. I mean, there are a lot of hardworking people who tune into this show, and, and I don't take you for granted. I know a lot of people do. I don't take you for granted. I appreciate the grind uh, that everybody shows every morning getting up and going to it. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it, was, it was just it was really painful to watch. It was painful to listen to, I would imagine, as well. And the officials completely took over the game. And, and look, I think five years from now, people won't sit around and talk about how this game had 44 foul calls, 27 in the second half, both guys in the bonus, both teams in the bonus with 14 minutes to go in the second half. They'll talk about Roy Williams winning his third title. They'll talk about the impressive run that Gonzaga made as a one seed, justifying that one seed from the tournament. That Mark Few, I hope at some point, will get a national title. That he has clearly demonstrated, if there was any doubt at all, over his tenure at Gonzaga, that he can win a national championship there in the Pacific Northwest for the Zags. But the story of this game was the way that it was officiated. I mean, that's the takeaway to me. Now, some of you may disagree. Ryan in Milwaukee, I think he disagrees. What's up, Ryan? Hey, Clay. Yeah, I was. Uh, there was this one point in the second half I noticed where uh, Gonzaga went on like a nine, eight to nine minute run where they didn't even score a field goal, and North Carolina didn't even go up by more than five points at that time. Yeah, that neither team crazy, could make I a thought. shot. Neither team could make a shot. I mean, I, I gave you that those stats in the uh, in the box score. If you want to go look at the actual on the court product, it was atrocious. Anybody out there? I always love people who are out there. And, and there's probably some of you listening right now, and you're like, oh, I love college basketball, but I don't like the NBA. And my argument has always been, if you are, I love college basketball, but I hate the NBA guy, you need a brain transplant. Because I understand if you don't like basketball. You just say, you know, I love football. I like baseball. I, everybody doesn't have to like every sport. For instance, I don't care particularly about hockey. I'll go to a couple of games a year. I just don't care. Right? I understand some of you out there love hockey. That's not me. doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me. If you don't like basketball, that's fine. It's just not your sport. But if you love college basketball and you hate the NBA, you need a brain transplant. Because college basketball often is just awful. There's never a game where NBA players shoot this bad. 34% from the field for Gonzaga. 36% from the field for North Carolina. North Carolina was 4 for 27 on threes. Four for 27. I mean, if I went into the gym right now and you gave me 27 shots and I only hit four, I would be crushed beyond belief at how crappy I was. And a lot of those North Carolina shots were really good looks. Poor Jackson. I think he finished like 0 for 10 from the field for three. And every shot, a lot of those shots were not even close. That's what's tough. 0 for 9 from the field. The only person on North Carolina's team who made a three-point shot was Joel Berry. He went four for 13. Nobody else could make anything. 
the rest of the team combined to go 0 for 23, if my math is right there. Think about how hard that is to pull off. Only one player on UNC's incredibly talented team made a three-point basket. The rest of the team combined to go 0 for 23. I mean, that, that's pretty difficult to pull off. I mean, it was. I, I know I'm, I'm blaming the officials, and I do think the officials' lack of flow in this game led to some awful shooting. But there were some good looks for North Carolina where they should have knocked these down. I mean, look, if North Carolina just shoots 20% from three, if they just make two more, this game's not very close. Again, I think the better team won. I think North Carolina's better than, better than Gonzaga. Now, you can say... Look, inside, Karnuski was just unable to make a shot. He went one for eight from the field, and a lot of those shots, if you're a big man and you go one for eight from the field, you probably are having an awful night because he was really close on every one of those shots, and anybody should be able to go one for eight. I think the defense was good, and there's a lot of really bad shooting. And again, I think that the foul calls were substantial. Collins only played 14 minutes in this game. Their big man, Gonzaga's big man, got nine points and seven rebounds. He was four for six from the field. He only played 14 minutes. He fouled out in 14 minutes. You know how hard that is to do? That's bad officiating. If the best player for Gonzaga, and I definitely think Collins, big man inside, was their best player, if he's only able to play 14 minutes and he still almost gets a double-double, what would he have done if he had played 28 minutes? He'd have gone for 18 and 14 if this math had ended up being the same. He was a matchup problem. That's probably their best player from a pro perspective for Gonzaga. And he only played 14 minutes in this game. Crazy. Let's find out what's trending now. Go to your calls. More of them on the flip side. 877-996-6369. We're reacting to last night's game. North Carolina against Gonzaga. The Tar Heels get the third championship for Roy Williams. Let's find out what's trending now. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. Easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. We are getting a lot of feedback on Twitter about the academic fraud scandal at UNC and the fact that we haven't talked that much about it. Uh, We're taking your calls, 877-996-6369, reacting to last night's national title game. And David in Cincinnati wants to discuss the academic scandal, I believe. David, what's up? I, I just think last night's win was kind of a reflection of the and – and a confirmation of our attitudes in America, and that is the ends justify the means. North Carolina has had a culture for decades of academic fraud, but it doesn't matter because they won an NCAA championship, and the ends justified the means there. And I, I personally feel like um, – we're going to see another UCLA here. They're going to get away with it just like UCLA got away with the whole Sam Gilbert buying players issue, and we're going to hold Roy Williams up just like we do Wooden as this great ethical coach. And uh, the opposite is actually true. Well, let me ask you this, because I'm kind of fascinated by this academic fraud scandal. And for those of you out there who haven't paid a lot of attention to this, UNC has been able to keep its guys eligible on campus uh, in both football, I believe, and basketball. Because and in many sports, let's be honest, because of supposedly systemic academic fraud. But I, I kind of come at this from an interesting perspective, I think, a little bit different, David. My position on this is, I think, let's start here. 
of the of the major public universities in this country. I think the top five best public schools in the country, you, you can disagree, and there's probably a couple of other additional schools that you could toss in, but I think UNC, Virginia, I think Michigan, Cal, and UCLA are the five best public schools, that is state-funded universities in the country. Now, Texas is close as well. I'd probably put them at six, but the top five that I just ran through. I think most people out there listening right now would agree. If your kid could go to UNC, whether you live in North Carolina or you go somewhere else, you'd be ecstatic about them going off to school at UNC. If UNC has systemic academic fraud for athletes to stay eligible, to me what that means, and I've been on this for years, is that systemic academic fraud exists everywhere in college athletics because if UNC, which is a top five public institution, is doing it, do you really think that all these other schools – Ole Miss, for instance, uh, do you think that Nevada, do you think that uh, Florida State, do you think that all these other schools that are not as well known for their academics are somehow giving their student athletes a rigorous review of all the different subject matter when they get to college campuses? Well, that, that kind of goes to my point. This is this is America. This is how we do things now. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's the kind of mentality that we've adopted here. And and I think it, it for a school that is supposed to be one of the top five, this academic beacon to do this kind of thing it makes it even worse. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting point. I appreciate the call. We're going to talk about this. You can react to that as well. I, I, I tend to disagree. I think that the big issue here that the NCAA does not want to examine is that there are many people who are being admitted to college campuses all over the country, primarily in men's football, and obviously men's football, football and men's basketball, who otherwise would never end up on a college campus and frankly don't have the academic standing to be able to be legitimate college athletes. And I've been on this for a long time because if you look at the Wonderlick scores, they stopped releasing the public Wonderlick scores from the Combine because there were so many guys who were testing single digits on the Wonderlick. Now, I'm not saying the Wonderlick is some complete arbiter of who's brilliant and who's not. But there were so many student-athletes, student-athletes in quotation marks, who were testing single-digit scores on the Wonderlick that they had to stop releasing the public scores. And the reason was because it's clear evidence of academic fraud. If you have been on a campus for four years and you are graduating and you sit down to take this 12-minute test that has 50 questions on it and you get a single-digit score, it means that clearly people have been cheating either tutors or your academic advisors to keep you eligible for four years. There are a lot of guys who graduate, graduate in quotation marks, from four-year institutions, and they're functionally illiterate. They can't read, and they somehow were eligible, not just in college, but all through high school, all through school, everywhere else. And I think what the NCAA doesn't want is an actual examination of what kind of education these guys are getting. Because if you're not getting an education then the NCAA's argument that, oh, well, we don't need to pay these players because they're coming to college and they're getting an education. Well, what are you going to do with that education? If you graduate and eventually you're not able to continue to play, what are you actually going to do? I have a phrase that I like to use. I'd encourage you guys to use it with kids as well. Say, use the ball. Don't let the ball use you. It's simple. Kids get it. And they understand. At some point, no matter who, how good you are, your ability to make a living off what you can do with a ball, whether it's a soccer ball, a basketball, a baseball, a golf ball, whatever it is, is going to come to a close. Ask Tiger Woods. And at some point, 
you want to ensure that you are using the ball and that the ball is not using you. And it's easy to get used by the ball because it's an easy route. Oh, if you're really good, people will pass you in school. They'll change your grades to get you eligible. Look at what happened at Kentucky. Eric Bledsoe down at Birmingham. They just go in and change the grades. And when you think about the ethics of it, maybe that's not even so bad. You got a choice between a kid who didn't make a good enough grade in high school algebra and he's not going to be eligible to play basketball if you don't change that grade. And what's the difference between a D and a B? It's one loop. Eric Bledsoe makes tens of millions of dollars a year now to play basketball. But when you do things like that, you send a message and these kids get it. It's that they are entitled because of their ability with a basketball. This doesn't happen with female athletes. It's interesting. You look at female athletes. They go off to college and they try to get educations. You know why? Because by and large, you can't make much money as a female athlete in this country. There's a reason why female athletes who are playing in the NCAA tournament actually graduate and get normal jobs. It's because you only make $75,000 a year or whatever it is playing the WNBA and you can't play for that long. It's not life-changing money. We haven't sent the message to female athletes of if you're good enough at the playing ball, you don't have to worry about anything else. We definitely send it with male athletes. And I think there are a lot of people out there, a ton of people out there in the NCAA who don't want this UNC academic investigation to go any further because ultimately what it shows is that their system is fundamentally corrupt and that the student-athlete situation is fundamentally a lie. I'll take your calls on it, but that's why I don't get too hung up on the UNC situation. If one of the top public institutions in the country is cheating to keep academic athletes eligible from an academic perspective, these athletes would otherwise not be eligible. If UNC is doing it, are you telling me that the other 95% of public schools in this country who are nowhere as good academically as UNC are not doing it? Give me a break. Go look at the Wonderlick scores. It's clear. Academic fraud is occurring everywhere to get these kids in, to keep them eligible, to graduate them. They're not getting real educations by and large. Some are. Many are not. 877-996-6369. Reacting to UNC's win. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Time for the play of the day, and it comes from late in last night's UNC-Gonzaga national title game. It is Justin Jackson, his breakaway dunk, to put the exclamation point on UNC's national title game win. Here it is, courtesy of CBS Sports. Comes in, blocked by Meeks, right up ahead for Jackson, and he takes it down for the five-point lead. No timeouts, Gonzaga, it's stolen, and North Carolina's fouled with seven seconds to go. That was the end result last night of North Carolina's championship, the third overall for Roy Williams since he rejoined the Tar Heels from Kansas. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. Just put up the new poll question, do you care about the UNC academic scandal? I'll update you throughout. You can go vote in that poll if you would like at Clay uh, Travis on Twitter, at Clay Travis. You can go find me there. Let's go to my man, Gerald, in Virginia. Gerald, what's up? Hey, Clay, thanks for taking my call. I was actually going to call just to tell you that uh, I do think that people can enjoy college basketball and not enjoy the NBA, but I wanted to talk about the uh, UNC scandal since you got so many people talking about it, and I think it's an important conversation to have. 
Unfortunately, I think it goes to show how non-interested in the game of basketball a lot of our media has become because the first thing I saw from, like, news stations who wouldn't even mention most of these kids' names were they were talking about the scandal. Do you think we'd be talking about the scandal if it was, uh, let me see, uh, Providence or somebody like that who, yeah. who didn't make the tournament, who didn't go to the Final Four, who didn't win a championship? No, I mean, look, it's a good question. And and I think there are a lot of people out there that feel, fair or not, that the NCAA treats blue-blooded programs like UNC different than it does the non-blue bloods. And I think, I think, by the way, if you want the defense from UNC's perspective about why this isn't an NCAA issue, and this is an amazing defense, but it's evidently one that may work, it's that this was not rooted entirely in athletics. In other words, the departments that were failing at UNC to be rigorous enough academically were failing students across the entire university. So the NCAA's argument that they have been willing to accept so far from UNC is that this was not just athletes who were going to no-show classes. This was tons of college students across UNC. In other words, and this is fascinating, if the scandal is big enough, it doesn't just implicate athletics, then the athletic department can get out from under the punishment for it. Think about it. And it makes some sense in a larger a larger universe. If you found out that something was uh, was not working at a major university, it would be unfair to hold the athletic department entirely responsible for. And I think the failure was in the African American uh, history department, or I'm not even sure what the what the what the subgroup was of classes. But that everybody who was taking classes in that discipline or that major was getting the same benefit that athletes were. So it wasn't as if these were no-show classes and easy grades that were being given out just to athletes. It was anybody who enrolled in these courses. So UNC's argument, absurdly, is this wasn't preferential treatment to athletes. This was a failure across the board academically, and everybody was getting preferential treatment, athletes or not. I don't know if I buy it, but that's their argument. Brendan in Massachusetts. What's up, Brendan? Hey, what's going on, man? Just living the dream here. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, yeah, you were mentioning um, the game last night and, like, how kind of sluggish it was and the fouls. And I just wanted to say, like, I've never really been a huge basketball fan. I just kind of recently got into it. But in this day and age with, like, the fouls that are called, like, just the little things, it's really hard for me to watch because, first of all, it takes forever. And it almost seems like nine times out of ten, if you even go to the paint or go for a layup, boom, the foul. And it just kind of comes across really fake at times. So it's yeah. really, like, really hard for me to watch. you feel that way at all? I feel like nobody ever says that. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think what you're getting is the players have become so strong, so physical, and so athletic that it's almost impossible to effectively officiate a game. I think you see that in the NBA all the time. And I think basketball officials, more so than the officials in any other sport, have the ability to dictate kind of the course and speed of the game. And I think what we saw last night was, in an effort to try and uh, and call every foul, we ended up with an awful product to watch. I, I don't care who the teams are playing. If both teams are in the bonus with 14 minutes left in the second half, I think that means the officials have done a bad job of officiating. Now, you could say, oh, there's fouls, you're supposed to call them. You're calling that many fouls. You're not really cleaning up the game. 
you're ensuring that this game is just going to be a rapid and constant parade to the free throw line. To me, that's the truth. Uh, Bill in Kentucky. What's up, Bill? Good morning. Good morning, Clay. Uh, yeah, along that line, um, I heard the at least twice the TV announcer, they, they called it a nickel-dime foul. The guys go, you know, on the outside, they just cut, barely touch a guy and they call a foul. But, you know, the guy's going down the lane and get knocked down and there's no call. And uh, I have a question. I was, I was dozing off uh, in the second half because it was so long. And um, what was the the flagrant one uh, foul called for? Yeah, and and that's one that I think they blew. I mean, they they got Karnuski uh, on a foul. They made they made the wrong call late in the game. I don't know what, like eight minutes left, maybe. They had uh, Joel, uh, Joel Barry uh, got fouled, and uh, and they called it instead on Barry. They went and reviewed it, and they gave Karnuski a, a flagrant foul. It was clearly not intentional, but he hit he hit Barry in the face. Uh, trying to go for the ball, and then apologize, and they end up shooting four free throws back and forth, and UNC gets the ball. UNC missed their free throws, so the actual impact was not substantive. First hour in the book, second hour off and rolling. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkeep the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, Fox Sports Radio Studios. Hour two brought to you by GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Also want to tell you, about my friends at True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and, on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. UNC gets the win. They have advanced now to three national championships with good old Roy Williams. That now means that Roy Williams has passed Dean Smith, 66 years old, has a decent chance to get to four which would tie him with Adolph Rupp for third all-time. Right now, John Wooden, 10 national championships, never going to be equaled, I would imagine, in the history of college basketball. Coach Mike Krzyzewski has five. Good chance that he will get to six, probably, at least before his career ends. And now Adolph Rupp with four, and we have Roy Williams with three, the only active coach with three national championships now, and he will have a chance to get to four, which is really, really rare terrain one of the best coaches of all time now if you judge just by championships I asked this question on Twitter we've been discussing the awful officiating the overall NCAA tournament I'm taking your calls 877-996-6369 so you know roadmap for the remainder of the show at the bottom of this hour we will talk with Alex Marvez as we do every single Tuesday at this time and we'll discuss the latest in Tony Romo the ongoing saga of Romo, what will happen, word that now Romo can go visit different uh, different teams, have physicals done, what's going to happen, when are we going to get a resolution from this, I have no idea, but it's ongoing, and we've been, I feel like we've been having this conversation, certainly, basically since the, the week we started this show, back in September, we've been doing this show now for about seven months, thanks for everybody who's come on and listened, thanks to you guys for the ways that you're consuming the show. I'll maybe hit uh, that later. I had a poll question up, and I was kind of fascinated to see the results. But the poll question that's up this morning right now is an interesting question. And by the way, in hour three, we will talk with Casey Smith. She's up in Boston as the Eastern Conference playoff race tightens. The Cavs play, I believe, tonight. And then tomorrow, they go on the road at Boston for a game that probably will decide who gets home court advantage throughout the NBA playoffs. We'll talk to Casey Smith about that and also the fact that Adrian Peterson remains unsigned 
and he recently visited New England. What's going on there? But I asked the poll question of the day so far. Nearly 1,000 of you have voted so far. You can go vote in this if you would like by tracking me down at Clay Travis on Twitter. Do you care about the UNC academic scandal? Right now, 53% of you voting no, that you just don't care. People say, why doesn't this get, why doesn't this get more attention? Because the average fan just doesn't care about the UNC academic scandal. Funny questions rolling in on Twitter because I said the one of the reasons that UNC so far has avoided punishment is because this is a scandal that only uh, does not just impact athletics. In other words, the failure of the academic side at UNC went across the board and impacted many people who were non-athletes. And Jason A. uh, sends this question in. It's a pretty good one. So if Louisville would have given all students sex with hookers, then it makes it a non-NCAA issue. Ridiculously enough, yes. If the University of Louisville had been bringing in all sorts of, let's say like the National Merit Scholars, if the University of Louisville had been bringing the, the National Merit Scholars to campus the same weekend as the basketball recruits and also the band and everybody else that they give scholarships to, and as part of the ways that they were getting people to commit to their university, they had had big parties with hookers and they had had thousands of hookers show up, and the bands were getting band members were getting serviced, and so were all the National Merit Scholars. Everybody who's getting a scholarship because they're great at biology was getting a, getting a hooker treatment, just like everybody who was good at basketball. Then it wouldn't be an athletic scandal. That's true. <laughs> what Louisville needed to do was have more hookers, giving more fair treatment to uh, to guys who were on scholarship otherwise, and girls, I guess they could bring in gigolos too. But yes, if it's a larger university issue, then arguably it's not a systemic fraud that directly impacts athletics, which is what UNC argued. They argued that this failure on the academic level with athletes getting grades for not going to classes was something that was happening for many athletes across the board, not just for UNC athletes. It's a pretty fascinating argument. Uh, We'll go to your calls. Mike in California. Mike, what's up? Play, great show as always. And if you'd have told me that Justin Jackson would have shot like that, Overberry's hurt. Yes. I never would have guessed they would have won this game tonight. Unbelievable. Because Jackson and Berry has carried them throughout the season along with their bigs. And I'm not surprised, though, because UNC all year has not been a great shooting team outside of those two guys. It's they kill you on the offensive boards and get second shots. That's what's been doing it all year. And that's what's done it tonight. Now, I want to address the academic issue here. The academic issue is this. We're not talking about UNC giving out majors in engineering that didn't exist. English majors that are going to be teachers that didn't exist. We're talking about an elective in a department in a major called African-American studies. I've been watching UNC games for a long time since the Dean Smith era, I used to always laugh because it seemed like every player was graduating in African-American studies. And I would think to myself, what kind of major is that? I mean, really, think about that. It's an elective, and we're letting these guys graduate in African-American studies. So let's give UNC a break. Once again, we're not giving free engineering degrees out there, free chemistry degrees out there to athletes. They're majoring in African-American studies. Let me tell you what they're really majoring in. Basketball, folks. Football, folks. That's where they're going to go on and 
have a career in, okay? So let's just drop it. It's ridiculous. Thank you for the time, Clay. Appreciate the call from Mike. I mean, I think every university in the country has at least one major where you see a ton of athletes in it, and you're like, what in the world is that major? It's a good point. How many UNC graduates who are majoring in African-American studies, and by the way, there's many different degrees that people get at college universities, and you look at it and you say, I hope you're going to grad school because I got no idea what you're going to do with that liberal arts degree, and I can speak to it. I was a history major. I went to law school. What would I have done with my history degree? I mean, I was prepared to do everything and nothing simultaneously, and I would imagine that's what you are when you graduate with a degree in African-American studies. Unless you get a job at the uh, new National African-American Museum that just opened in Washington, D.C. I don't know how many African-American studies jobs there are where you could actually use your African-American studies degree. I remember back in the day, there was a major at the University of Tennessee. I remember being a kid and asking my dad, because I was like, what in the world is this? Everybody majored in urban studies. I'm like, what in the world is urban studies? And if you're a fan of a college, I guarantee you right now, we could open up the phone lines and say, what was the ridiculous major that athletes majored in at your school? That was the easy way that they stayed eligible. I went to George Washington. George Washington is a pretty decent academic school, not a great one. But I was a student manager on the basketball team. Awful at that, by the way. But I took a lot of the same classes that the athletes took because I knew they were going to be easy. We had a class called Voice and Diction. You had to give a two-minute speech. GW is a pretty decent academic school. The entire class was filled with athletes. Why were the athletes in there? Because it was impossible. If you had a pulse, you got at least a B. I mean, literally, it was impossible to get a lower grade. Everybody knows the professors who are going to give good grades. Certainly the academic advisors do. You got to keep somebody eligible. You put them into classes that are easier than the general body's classes. And by the way, that goes even for great schools like Vanderbilt. I went to Vanderbilt for law school. They definitely would put their athletes who were not at the top echelon of Vanderbilt athletics into the easier courses. I guarantee you Duke does it. Even at elite academic institutions, they are pushing kids through into classes that are not anywhere near as academically rigorous as the rest of the school. Now, there are exceptions. There are some guys who are going to come in and major in engineering and also be incredible athletes, and good for them. But by and large, if you want to compete at a really high level, that's what you do. You find courses that guys can be eligible in. And if you really wanted to set this all up, you would have, and I've been saying this for a long time, one way to fix it, and you can give me your feedback on ways to fix it, 877-996-6369. Remember back in the day when, like, Lamar Odom and all these guys who were trying to get eligible for basketball would suddenly decide to fly cross-country and take the SAT in a completely different state than they lived in, in a completely different side of the country? Like, that seems kind of weird to me, right? Like, like most of you, I got into my car and I drove to a local high school to take the SAT. Or the ACT. It's about every single one of you who's listening right now. You either took it at your local high school or you took it at your rival high school. Somewhere in your city. I bet there's hardly anybody listening to me right now who took the SAT in a different city than where they went to school. If you just required everybody who is going to be potentially a D1 athlete to take it in a set location where you come in, I'll tell you. You know what they did when I took the LSAT to go to law school? They take your fingerprint. They take your fingerprint. That's when you know you're taking the class. That's when you know you're taking the test yourself. There are tons of guys out there who aren't taking this test. 
or they're going to places where they know they'll change the grades for them, change the test scores for them on the SAT or the ACT. And if you're cheating to get in on a standardized test, then it's clear that you're probably not prepared to be a college student. Remember, like, I think it was Robert Dozier at Cal was an expert on this at Memphis. He had guys going all over the country to take SAT and ACT. And you know what they do now? They tell them not to take it but one time. So you can't get flagged for your score skyrocketing. There were a bunch of Memphis basketball players when Cal was there. Their teachers actually said there's no way they were capable of getting the score on the SAT. No way they went in and got broke a 1,000. Because, you know, the sliding scale, the worse your GPA, the higher the score you have to get on the SAT in order to be eligible. I think that's still the case. Sending them all over the country to go take test scores to get eligible. These are guys that don't belong in college to begin with. And then they get a flagrantly false test score. And then they get into school. And what are the schools going to do? They're going to keep them eligible. When's the last time you heard of a great player getting kicked out for academic fraud? Somebody who couldn't keep their grades up. A really good player. It doesn't happen. (laughs) Think about that. When's the last time you heard of an NBA draft pick who got kicked out because he didn't have good enough grades? When's the last time you heard of an NFL player, first or second rounder, who got kicked out of school because he didn't have good enough grades? It's amazing how the more talent you have in sports, the more likely you are to be eligible. It's amazing. What a coincidence that is. Downright unbelievable. I'm going to get to your call's final, uh, final segment here before we go to Alex Marvez. Let me go ahead and knock out this ad. Uh, when you put good work in, good comes out, like the AutoZone Rewards program. Spend $25 five times and earn 20 bucks toward the next job. Get in the zone, AutoZone. I'm Clay Travis. We're always in the zone here on Outkick the Coverage, here on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Ask the question up there on the poll question of the day. We're going to talk to Alex Marvez at the bottom of the hour here. We're going to want to hear about his uh, latest news in the NFL. Do you care about the UNC academic scandal? The Tar Heels win the championship. Roy Williams gets his third, passes Dean Smith all-time on the list of winningest coaches in the history of North Carolina basketball. Do you care about the UNC academic scandal? 54% of you say no. 46% of you say yes. And what's fascinating about that is the people who seem to care the most – our Kentucky basketball fans. That's at least who I hear from the most about the UNC academic scandal. And Kentucky basketball fans have all these guys rolling onto campus for like five months. They clearly aren't student athletes. If you're a one-and-done player and they say, oh, well, they're still eligible to come back. Yeah, do you really think that they're going to school in a rigorous fashion in the five months that they spend on campus? Get out of here. Stop with that. It's hard to argue that you should have rigorous academic standards when the best players in all of college basketball come in for one year and are gone. And by the way, for one year, it's an exaggeration. They get onto campus, they start class in August or September, and then as soon as the NCAA tournament is finished, they go start training for the NBA draft. So most players who are one and done right now, do you think De'Aaron Fox is going to be going to the rest of his classes at Kentucky right now? He announced that he's going pro. And I don't blame him, would you? No, you go focus on your pro career. You can make millions of dollars. You go train. You get in the best possible shape. Kentucky lets him mail in some paper that he didn't write, and they say, oh, he's eligible to come back for his second year. That way our APR doesn't get hit. It's all crap. It's the truth of the matter. 
Uh, let's go to uh, John in Detroit. John, what's up? Hey, what's up, Clay? How's life? Oh, good, man. Good, good. Always good to hear you. Haven't called in a while. We'll always listen. And, and I totally disagree with you uh, on, on this point. I think that uh, it's a little bit enabling, you know, when you say, well, let's speculate about all the other schools who do it, too. I mean, that that may be true, but, you know, if you were in court, the, the judge would tell you, you know, <laughs> the speculation doesn't count. Let's talk about what you can prove. Well, I think that's why the NCAA doesn't want to go aggressively after this, because I think they know that the number one – like, I think paying players – happens, but I don't think it's insanely common. I think that every major college athletic department in the country, and I mean this, cheats to keep athletes eligible at school. Yeah, it, it, but, but I again, it's speculation, and you know, I'm, I'm a Michigan grad, and I want to think that my school doesn't do it, and I want to think if they do, they need to get out of it. See, I'm, I'm radical here. My thing is, let's do this, and then all those guys on your on your survey – I bet you if you take the 30% of Americans over 25 that had bachelor degrees from, you know, accredited universities, they would probably disagree with that 54% of your guys on that, you know, on your poll. But let's go back. My thing is let's, let's, be, let's be real radical here. If you can't qualify to get into a university as a regular student, you don't need to be in that university. Well, that's and a strong argument. And I actually, I actually agree with you there. I mean, I think the problem is – that And it's a great point. And this is something that I've asked on a larger scale. You look at a situation like Baylor. Let's use Baylor as an example. Baylor is a religious institution, right? And they are going to exist whether or not they have a good football program or a good basketball program. It doesn't really matter. You go look, and I guarantee you if you put the transcripts up for the guys who have caused problems at Baylor for both football and basketball, I guarantee you if you look at their transcripts, there's no way those guys would have ever gotten admitted to Baylor if they weren't athletes, right? So what's fascinating to me about a Baylor situation and also scary is effectively a school like Baylor is saying we're willing to put our rest of our student body at risk physically, violently for criminal offenses in order to win more football and basketball games. And that is where the rubber really hits the road. And I wonder whether parents are going to take a step back at some point and say, wait a minute, it's great to beat rival school X. But if my daughter is going to school and she's five times as likely to get raped because of that, do, is, is, is that a trade that I want to make? And I think most dads and moms out there would say, hell no. And I think that's where some people are starting to ask the question that you just asked, which is, why are we admitting guys who would other? It's almost always guys, right? The women come into school and they take advantage of their scholarships. And I think it's almost always happening in football and basketball, because that's where the money is. I don't think it necessarily happens in other sports the same way, and I think a lot of people are asking the question you're asking, John. He's gone already, but great call. Great point. John calls in regularly, always makes interesting points. It's hard to argue that a lot of the people who represent these schools would be there but for their athletic ability. Now, the downside is you don't necessarily know who the guys are who are going to come into campus, and this is what the coaches would say. The coaches would say, what I'm trying to do is find great athletic talent, yes, but there's also a lot of these guys that we admit who are able, with the right tutoring and the right support academically, to catch up for the fact that they had awful schooling in their early years. And they take advantage of the fact they come to this university and they're smart and they're bright and we're giving them a hand up. And even if they don't become professional athletes, they are then going on to have a successful life. And that's the challenge. Because you don't necessarily know, just on its face, is this guy going to be somebody who's going to commit a violent felony against another student? Or is he going to come in here 
and turn into a Dean's List student by the time he leaves because there's stories on both ends, and that's the challenge. Sometimes you get winners, sometimes you get losers. Gary in Pennsylvania, what's up, Gary? Good morning, Clay. Uh, outstanding uh, show today. Last week you briefly touched on the North Carolina stuff, and you did say briefly why no one's investigating it. But these colleges, they don't care, and this is affecting predominantly the black athlete and some of the male uh, big dumb offensive linemen. They don't, like the previous caller said, they don't belong on campus. It's hurting our education system. Then these athletes go in the NFL or the NBA. They have no respect for law and order or the standards of the NFL. Domestic abuse like this, uh, the guy from Oklahoma coming in, on and on. And I hate to say it like this, they come from tough situations, most of these uh, uh, predominantly black athletes, let's face it. And I'd be fighting, too, to get the, get out of that. But you bring them on campus like Baylor did and North uh, Oklahoma and stuff, and they bring that whole attitude in the NFL, and it only hurts them. The NBA average player, after five years, when, they're gra- when they leave the NBA, they're totally broke. I read that somewhere. You probably did, too, but this is good talk, and you're the only one out of all the sports stations. Those knuckleheads, Mike and Mike, would never dream of talking about this, but it's true. And you as a parent, Clay, and the rest of the parents out there, you'd have to think about sending your kids to, say, Oklahoma or Baylor and stuff. But it is a disgrace, and it's all about one thing, generate money for the universities, and they're using these athletes, whether you're white or black, male or female, as uh, just like the old Roman days, the gladiator. It's as simple as that. It's just a glorified gladiator situation in the sports industry today, particularly on college campuses, Clay. But thank you for the outstanding uh, uh, talk today. Yeah, I appreciate the call. Look, I I think it's socioeconomic in many ways. I think that guys from poor, disadvantaged backgrounds typically go to poor, disadvantaged schools. And they are identified at young ages as supreme athletes. And they learn, they're not dumb, they learn early on that the standard that they, of behavior that is expected of them is different than the standard of behavior that is accepted of somebody who is not as good of an athlete. And so that a lot of times they don't want to do the work, and they get passed along. And it's sometimes a benevolent neglect. And what I mean by that is, I'm using that Eric Bledsoe example. If I were a teacher... I'll give you an example. If I were a teacher in a public school and I had a guy who was doing awful work and I gave him a D and then two years later somebody came in to me and said, look, Clay, this kid can go get a scholarship. You watch him play basketball. You watch him play football. He's really good at this. This gives him an opportunity to go on to a better life. The thing that is going to keep him from being eligible is the D that you gave him. Will you change it to a B? I'd probably change it. I probably would. Now, you can say, oh, that, that's, a, that's a flaw in my decision-making. But I'm balancing the equities there, and I'm saying, would I rather this kid have to go to a junior college and may or may not ever get into a major academic institution like Kentucky to play basketball like Eric Bledsoe, uh, like a, a major football factory, or would I rather go ahead and change this relatively insignificant class that I taught that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things and give him a better chance at a better life? I think most teachers would make that change. I really do. And I don't think that's a flaw on their part. I think it's because they're trying to do well by the kid. The problem is, if you string together a ton of those teachers all trying to do the best thing for this kid, 
ultimately, it's not the best thing for the kid because he's not learning anything. And even worse, he's learning that he doesn't have to do anything when person in position of authority asks him to because ultimately his athletic ability will allow him to continue to pass. And he's learned that from elementary school to middle school to high school to college. I said this again, and I haven't hardly gotten a tweet refuting it. Tell me a single player who has gotten kicked out for not having good enough grades who has gotten drafted in the first or second round in the NBA or college football. Just one. Get kicked out for drugs, yes. Get kicked out for physical violence, yes. Get kicked out for academics. You can reach out to me right now while I talk to Alex Marvez. I would love to hear some examples at Clay Travis. A guy who got drafted in the first or the second round of the NFL, and I'm not talking about not being eligible maybe for a bowl game when they're already going pro. I'm talking about kicked out of school and not able to continue when they're freshmen or sophomores because of low grades. And then they go on and they become a first or second round pick in the NFL or the NBA. Doesn't happen. You tell me those guys are all doing their work? They're being held to a different standard, a more lenient standard. They're not going to get kicked out. Uh, Okay, let's go find out what's trending now. And then we got Alex Marvez. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. Easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And I also want to tell you, with True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and, on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Bring in now my guy Alex Marvez, bottom of the hour, every single Tuesday at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central, 5.30 Mountain, and 4.30 Pacific. We talk to my guy Alex Marvez and uh, Alex Yes. What in the world is going on with As the Romo Turns? Are we ever <laughs> going to have a resolution to this story? You know what? Cowboys still looking to get that draft pick, right? Some sort of compensation for Tony Romo. Sixth-round pick, seventh-round pick. Doesn't look like anyone's going to be biting, but by allowing the Romo camp to talk to folks, as NFL Network reported on Monday, they are opening up the door for potentially getting something done. And, you know, I, I think teams want to sign Tony at their own price rather than the, the huge amount, you know, maybe tie it in. $14 million in base salary to them. Yes, I know it's a league that's printing money. It sounds silly, right? But I think that they feel that they can get Tony on a deal that can protect them against some injury things, maybe a per-game type of pay-as-you-go-along type scenario. And, of course, though, I think the Cowboys realize, too, you can't hold on to Tony Romo forever because at some point these teams are going to move on. April 17th is the date. I think you should be watching maybe before then, but April 17th, the start of the Cowboys offseason workout program. And what you don't want for Dallas, if you're moving on in 2017, is to still have Tony Romo in your building. I would imagine that he would be released before then. All right, so that's actually a, a deadline potentially. So April 17th, today is what, April 4th? So you yes. think within the next two weeks – we will have by like Monday of, uh, of uh, tax day. Tax day yes. is the 17th, I think, right? By yeah. tax day, you think we'll have a resolution with Tony Romo. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair to say. I, I just We're, don't see it going on much much longer than that. Because look, at some point, Clay, if it's the Houston Texans, you've got to have this guy in. He's been in the same offense since 2007. Bill O'Brien and, and the offense that he runs, it's different than what Jason Garrett runs. There's things he has to he has to work on timing with receivers. I mean, he has to integrate himself into this team. You can't wait until June, July. This isn't going to be Brett Favre coming in, I don't think. 
you know, and, and having, you know, the ability to just come in and, and lead a team like he did with the Minnesota Vikings right off the bat to a Super Bowl. I just don't I don't think that's a reasonable expectation. I think for Tony, you got to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. And you're going to have to learn a lot of new things. Plus, get yourself settled. All that family stuff. I just think it's going to take a little time for Tony Romo to integrate himself into any team he goes to. Thus, that's why I think we need to start getting a move on this. So where do you think he goes? You just mentioned the Houston Texans. Is that where you would make the prohibitive favorite to uh, to get Tony Romo? Houston one, Denver two, and is the XFL still going on? Maybe they'd be <laughs> is there anybody other than Houston or Denver that you think is in play to get Romo? No, no, really not right now. I mean, look, I, all the teams that we talked about in the offseason have pretty much made a commitment to somebody, whether it's Chicago, whether it's, uh, you know, the New York Jets. I mean, with, with Josh McCown, I get it, but they spent money on this guy. You know, there's a reason he's there. I'm not saying these guys are better quarterbacks than Tony Romo. You know, Buffalo stuck with Tyrod Taylor. I mean, the only ones left, Cleveland, and even San Francisco has Brian Hoyer, who they're ready to go with the mat, to, to the mat with for at least a year. So, no, I can't see that. The, the, the weird one is, and this is the one I think that scared Jerry Jones a lot, would be the Washington Redskins. If we're just talking out loud here, you don't think you can get Kirk Cousins signed. You're looking for a short-term quarterback fix. If you think you can trade Kirk Cousins to the 49ers and get something really good in return, and you can bring in Tony Romo as a bridge quarterback and be able to draft a QB in Washington for Jay Gruden to work with down the road, I think that is something that would put the Redskins as the dark horse candidate in all of this. And you know what? If Tony Romo isn't happy with the way that he's been treated by the Dallas Cowboys, and that's another reason to want to trade Romo, by the way. Keep him off the free agent market, right? Or, yeah, no, exactly you know, right. If, talk- if there's a chance that Washington brings him in, Clay, you know, I, I mean, you want to get him as far away as possible. Thus, Green Bay, what they did with Brett Favre, sending him to Siberia, a.k.a. the Jets, in 2008. We're talking to Alex Marvez. My wife begged me not to mention him on the air anymore, but I'm going to ask you because we're talking NFL, Colin Kaepernick. What's the time frame on him? You said Romo by the 17th. Do you think Colin Kaepernick will be on a team by the time training camps officially start? Training camp, sure. Something could happen this offseason on a lot of different levels. You know, especially once we see what goes on with this draft, and it is a rather curious draft. If you see, I'm, I'm hearing, Clay, as many as five quarterbacks I saw that. could be taken in the first round. As many as five. Nuts, right? I mean, and you're looking at teams that are trying to set themselves up maybe for the future. Pittsburgh, San Diego, the New York Giants. I mean, they're taking a look real long and hard at this draft class. Of course, we know Arizona is in that type of mix. The Houston Texans have to be considered in that mix to draft a guy. So let's say you fall short. You're looking for that quarterback. Maybe that's Wow, we got, we got breaking news. I'm going to cut you off here. Uh, it says Tony Romo is leaving football and going into broadcasting, even with Dallas planning to release him today. Sources tell at ta- at Todd Archer and me. That is from Adam Schefter. There we go. Hey, and Todd Archer, by the way, don't forget. And Todd, Todd Archer. Uh, yes. Well, <laughs> Marvez, we're, I'm going to let you go now. This breaking news has happened. I'm going to go ahead and go to break, and we'll take calls and discuss this big, big time. But so uh, I've been talking about this as a potential. Do we know uh, Danny G and Robert? I'm not on Twitter right now. Danny G or Robert, do we know if he's going to Fox or if he's going to CBS? No word as of yet. All right, so we'll talk about this because I had heard quite a bit about the potential that Tony Romo was going to be going to Fox, but then also the report had come out that maybe Jim Nance was going to be getting, they maybe were going to be pushing Phil Simms out and offering Tony Romo potentially the CBS lead with Jim Nance and that Fox may have only been offering the number two slot, obviously, to replace John Lynch. So I would say that that's that's big news. I mean, Tony Romo basically hanging up the cleats 
and going, man, I got a ticket, too, on Houston Texans to win the title. What was I thinking? Now, let me ask you this, Alex Marvez. If that is true, what in the world are the Texans going to do at the quarterback position now? Oh, we already dropped him. We dropped him because I said we got to get rid of you. We got news. I mean, that's the big question, right? To me, immediately, I shift from, okay, if Tony Romo is going to go into the broadcast booth, does that mean the Houston Texans are stuck with uh, Tom Savage at quarterback? Are they going to go trade up and go draft a guy in the first round? That's the big uh, big kind of fallout, I would think. And also for the Denver Broncos, is it Paxton Lynch time? Are they going to stick with, uh, with, with, with their boy uh, there already? I, I don't know what's going to go on. We've got to unpack this. Major news. Again, Tony Romo being released but going into the broadcast booth, according to Adam Schefter. We'll talk about this. You don't want to find out more details on this here to come. Final segment of the show of the second hour. Sorry, another hour to go. I'm blown away here. Big news. Tony Romo. I'm Clay Travis. We're talking here on Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Major breaking news live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. We were on with Alex Marvez. Phone started to blow up. Credit to Danny G and Robert back in the L.A. studio. But first, drive the new Duralast GT brake pads. Proven tough from the tracks to the streets. Sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. You heard it last segment, but if you're just getting into your car right now and starting your day, give me the breaking news sounder. Breaking news from Fox Sports. Tony Romo has decided, according to Adam Schefter and Todd Archer, to go into broadcasting. He is going to retire on his own terms, not play another year of NFL football, according to Adam Schefter and Todd Archer. He uh, was Dallas was planning to release him today, and reports are that Romo has decided to go into broadcasting. Now, that would theoretically mean that he's either going to CBS or Fox. Full disclosure, I have pretty good relationships with the people who do the hiring at Fox. I have sent out text messages to see if Fox is going to hire Tony Romo. They probably don't want to tell me to break it on the, the, the radio this morning, but I know that those the discussions had been going on potentially with Tony Romo coming in as the Fox number two play-by-play guy to replace John Lynch, who left to take over the GM duties at the San Francisco 49ers. Meanwhile, there have also been reports that CBS has been angling to try to get Romo, potentially pairing him with Jim Nance, their number one lead team, and then on top of that, going on and adding, uh, potentially replacing Phil Simms. So I'm going to work the phone here and see if I can figure out exactly where he's going. I've reached out to the guys at CBS too, who I also know, but I would imagine that they want to break this news in their own fashion as opposed to telling me. Just a guess. But I just want you guys to know that I've reached out to the people who will be making the decisions at Fox and at CBS, text messages during that break. I think if he's going into broadcasting, it would be either as the lead announcer team with Jim Nance on CBS, potentially replacing Phil Simms. Again, that's been the report. Or he's going to slide in at the number two. Number one team for Fox is Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and Aaron Andrews, number two is right now open, and I'm not even sure who the, I should know this, but I don't know off the top of my head, who does the uh, who does the broadcast with John Lynch? Do either one of you guys know Danny G or Robert? I'm, it's embarrassing that I don't know all these announced teams off the top of my head, but John Lynch is out as the player there, and so Tony Romo obviously could slide in as the number two announced team there with Fox. I know he has great relationships with everybody at Fox Sports, uh, but it may be too hard to pass up the overall number one announced team gig with CBS. Now, I will say, if you think about what the games he would call would look like, Fox has got the NFC. 
So Tony Romo would be more familiar, by and large, I would imagine, with the NFC teams that he would see at Fox than he would with the AFC teams that he would see with, uh, with Jim Nance on CBS. So to the extent that that factors in, obviously money would be substantial, I would imagine, at either place. And uh, yeah, Kevin Burkhart was with John Lynch last year. Burkhart is an awesome dude. I will also reach out now and text Burkhart. Again, everybody on the West Coast is still sleeping. But I'll see if I can find out where Tony Romo is going now that, again, Adam Schefter and Todd Archer have reported that Tony Romo is being uh, is, is deciding to retire and go into broadcasting. Again, really bold move by Tony Romo to leave behind his NFL career and also just throws the NFL quarterback market into an interesting tizzy, right? Let's think about this now. The expectation, you just heard me talking to Alex Marvez. In real time, let's analyze this. The expectation was that the Texans or the Broncos were going to be able to get Tony Romo and plug them in, plug him in as a starter. Let's start with the Texans. Right now, Danny G and Robert, do some research for me, if you would, on what the Texans roster looks like. Obviously, they traded away Brock Osweiler, effectively giving up a second-round pick to give him to the Cleveland Browns and that theoretically opened up the spot for Tony Romo. They obviously gave the job to Tom Savage, their overall draft pick. Bill O'Brien has been through a lot of different quarterbacks over the years. Tom Savage would be, I think, right now, if you went into training camp with the Houston Texans, clearly your number one with the Houston Texans. Do they even have a second quarterback on the roster right now? I'm doing a, a scan here, Clay. It looks right now they have Tom Savage, number one, Brandon Whedon, number two. Okay, so they still have Brandon Whedon. So, obviously, if you're a Houston Texans fan, that's just like curl up in the fetal position and cry perspective. So, now the Houston Texans, where do they draft overall? In the 20s, I'm guessing, right? I haven't even looked at the NFL draft. There's been talk that as many as five quarterbacks could go in the first round. Is there somebody that Bill O'Brien loves that he wants to draft in the first round at quarterback? Potentially, the Texans could be in that mix. Maybe they'd be even able or willing to trade up. The other possibility is there are a bunch of quarterbacks still out there unsigned, and they are a, a, a roster of not necessarily that impressive of guys, but there's been a lot of attention paid, obviously, to Colin Kaepernick and the fact that he's not signed. But let me run through this roster. I think you'll be surprised by the number of guys that you will know decently and say, oh, man, that guy's still not signed too because Colin Kaepernick has soaked up all of the attention. Why isn't somebody signing Colin Kaepernick has been the question. Well, here are other guys that are available out there. I asked this question last week, Jay Cutler. The Chicago Bears have cut him. He put out a picture alongside of his wife, uh, Kristen Cavallari, or Kristen Cavallari put out the picture of Jay Cutler on vacation with uh, with the nice ass shot uh, on Instagram. That's the most news that Jay Cutler has made since he was released by the Bears. Ryan Fitzpatrick is also out there, still available. Blaine Gabbert, who beat out uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick at the 49ers, is also available. So is Sean Hill. Uh, who started a game and won for the Vikings last year, as well as RG3. There are also other unemployed quarterbacks, including Matt McGloin, uh, who was going to start the playoff game for the Raiders, and everybody claimed to have a lot of attention, uh, a lot of uh, faith in. Uh, (laughs) Dan Orlovsky and uh, Ryan Nassib and Bruce Gradkowski. Those are the quarterbacks out there that are unsigned. So while, again, Colin Kaepernick has sucked up all of the attention it appears that there are still a lot of guys out there. So, would the Houston Texans make a run at Jay Cutler, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Colin Kaepernick, Blaine Gabbert, Robert Griffin III, Matt McGloin, any of those guys now that, in theory, according to the report from Adam Schefter and Todd Archer, 
Tony Romo is out of the mix. Other uh, other major team to consider is what's going to happen with Denver. Is it now Paxton Lynch time? What's going to happen with what John Elway is going to do there? What is is it Trevor Simeon's job? Are they going to have a, uh, a quarterback derby? Tons to discuss. Final hour. Again, major breaking news. Tony Romo reportedly going into broadcasting. Not going to sign with either the Texans or the Broncos. Major breaking news for you here on a Tuesday morning. It's not April Fool's. This is real life. We'll unpack and discuss anew when we return from this break. Final hour. Romo, he's made his decision. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back to the Fox Sports Radio studios brought to you by GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit GEICO.com for a free rate quote. News that is out there. Let me go ahead and, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and, and say this. I mean, obviously, the Tar Heels have won the championship. Ordinarily, we would discuss that. If you want to listen to our discussion of the Tar Heel championship game, we did the first basically hour and 40, hour and a half of the show discussing that game so you can go back and listen to it on the podcast but major breaking news again a lot of you waking up there's the breaking news sounder a lot of you waking up now across the country and the Tony Romo drama has been in play since September according to Adam Schefter uh, they are uh, he is reporting that Tony Romo is going into broadcasting that he is going to retire so he's not going to join the Houston Texans or the Denver Broncos as their quarterback that uh, as either the 37 year old Romo will retire news that I can report Uh, I have been uh, working the text machine here this morning and I can tell you that Romo is not going to be joining Fox Sports given that he's not going to be joining Fox Sports I think that what he has to be doing is going to CBS and so that's by process of elimination now NBC is also out there so in theory he could be going to uh, to CBS as well but we will see exactly what ends up transpiring there if Romo does go to CBS, the report has been that he would, in theory, be able to uh, to take over um, potentially for Phil Sims. So that is uh, that's what's hanging out there, um, and uh, and we'll see exactly what uh, what transpires there. Danny G and Robert, your reaction? Well, first off, I'm one of those people who thinks anytime we have less of Phil Sims on my television, that's a good thing. So shout out to Tony Romo for that one. But as far as the football product, I mean, the, the biggest story here has got to be for the Houston Texans because it seemed for a while that they had all their eggs in the Tony Romo basket. And with him being out of the picture now, they go from a possible Super Bowl contender to, what, are they even the best team in that division anymore? Man, you know, it is a, uh, it is a fascinating question. Um, and I, I don't know for sure, but... I, I think the AFC South, let's let's take a step back and think about the larger perspective now that Romo is not there. I think the AFC South, I would think the odds of the Houston Texans making a significant run there plummet precipitously. I, I Again, I asked the question. I think that's the number one question out there because I think the, the, Houston, the Denver Broncos, to me, are likely to stand pat, right? I think they're going to decide between Trevor Simeon or Paxton Lynch, and probably Paxton Lynch would have... I would think a larger chance than not to be the guy who's their quarterback for the future because John Elway drafted him for a reason. Former number one draft pick out of Memphis, sat on the bench, played a little bit in the first year, but did not play substantial amounts. I would think that the Broncos are likely to probably stand pat. The Houston Texans are in a fascinating situation now. I 
can't imagine, based on how he played, that there's that many people that excited about Tom Savage being the future of the Houston Texans franchise. So, to me, you have to look out there at all of these available quarterbacks. You have to also consider, could the Houston Texans go out and draft somebody with their first-round pick? Again, I went into it and dove into all the available quarterbacks. Colin Kaepernick has sucked up um, a ton of the overall air here. But the the storyline, from my perspective, is all of the available quarterbacks. Jay Cutler is out there. I would think, given the offense that Bill O'Brien runs, that Jay Cutler is kind of the prototypical pocket-style, pro-style quarterback that Bill O'Brien would want. They're decent wide receivers. What does Jay Cutler have left? He's 33, turning 34 soon. Ryan Fitzpatrick. I can't imagine that many people want Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's been everywhere. He's a vagabond. But maybe he's better than the other options out there. Blaine Gabbert, he beat out Colin Kaepernick. He's a big, statuesque quarterback who looks like he should be better than he is in terms of his ability to make every throw. Hasn't been that successful. Sean Hill, Colin Kaepernick, Robert Griffin III. There are a lot of players out there. Matt McGloin, Dan Orlovsky, Ryan Nassib. I mean, to me, the Texans are wide open. So let's talk about the AFC South. Let's break down the larger universe now that Romo potentially, according to this report, is out of the mix. Assuming that Marcus Mariota comes back healthy with the Tennessee Titans, he's a stud quarterback. Top 15, if you've watched him play, there's no doubt about that. There are substantial uncertainty still in Jacksonville about Blake Bortles, and you would think Andrew Luck, if he can come back healthy, the Colts can work on that defense. There would be potentially a, a, a wide-open division there. And if the Houston Texans, even though they won this division last year with a 9-7 and record, would probably have moved down the flow chart because as bad as Brock Osweiler is and was, he's better than what they have right now, which is really saying something. Because, again, the only guys they have in camp right now uh, on this team, Tom Savage and Brandon Whedon. So I think the biggest hit right now that's going on anywhere is to that. I mean, like, what in the world is going to happen at that, at that position? And I don't, know the, I don't know the answer, but to me, the Houston Texans are the biggest loser in the Romo deciding to go to the broadcast booth decision. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Now, you can also say that maybe the Denver Broncos lost out, but again, I think they're in better position. They may already have their quarterback of the future in Paxton Lynch. They haven't played him that much. This, I think, will start to get all the dominoes falling into place. You obviously have the NFL draft going on in May, and as many as five quarterbacks could go in the first round. Why would five quarterbacks go in the first round? Because this is a quarterback-desperate league. You either got a quarterback or you're desperate to find one. And given the current realities of what quarterbacks cost, it's not as if you're going to pay $50 million to a quarterback who might not pan out. I always like to use this example in the way that the NFLPA changed. The Tennessee Titans took Vince Young number three overall in the 2006 draft. They took him before Matt Leiner. They took him before Jay Cutler, number, number three overall. They paid him $52 million guaranteed. And he was a bust. And now he's with whoever it is, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I think, playing in the Canadian Football League. That's how bad Vince Young was at quarterback. But they had to pay him $52 million. That swing and miss cost a ton of money. Several years later, the, tech, the Titans drafted, J, uh, drafted Jake Locker, number eight overall. Okay, The Titans took Jake, uh, Jake Locker, number eight overall, and he retired after four years. He only cost $12 million. So you have two top eight picks 
the difference between the, the co- collective bargaining agreement and what quarterbacks cost you. Vince Young costs $52 million and fails. Jake Locker costs $12 million and fails. Why does that matter? I think a lot of teams are making the decision. The quarterback position matters so much that even if we don't think this guy is great, it's worth a swing and a miss, almost like what colleges do now. You know how colleges, every year colleges try to go sign good high school quarterbacks and bring them in, even if they've got guys already in camp who are, they think are going to be good. And why do they do that? Because it's hard to project how good a guy is going to be going from high school to college, and it's also hard now to go from college to the pros and project how, teams are, how guys are going to be, particularly because you got guys running so much of the spread offense. People didn't know if Mariota could do it. Well, now he's a pretty good pro-style pocket-passing quarterback, and so, but you didn't know. Right, The Titans took him number two overall. Looks like they've got a stud, and it's worth that risk because even if the guy doesn't pan out, it might only cost you 10 or $12 million even for a first-round draft pick at quarterback. If he's the right guy, then you go ahead and sign him to a multi-year extension. If he's not, you go back into the draft and you keep drafting until you try to get one of those guys who can be a top 10, 12 quarterback in this league. Major breaking news, again, if you're just waking up, just starting your day, Tony Romo reportedly going to go into the broadcast booth. I am told he is not going to Fox Sports. If he is not going to Fox Sports, that would theoretically only leave CBS and NBC. NBC has Chris Collinsworth, and they only have one game a week. I can't imagine that they're going to force Chris Collinsworth out, especially because there had already been reports that CBS potentially could replace Phil Sims with Tony Romo. I would put a lot of money, if I were putting money into the table right now, pushing it all in, I would go all in probably on CBS signing Tony Romo to be their overall number one announced team guy, replacing Phil Sims and pairing him with Jim Nance. That, I think, is what's going on here. Again, major breaking news. After months of discussing it, Tony Romo going to the broadcast booth, not the Houston Texans or the Denver Broncos. Okay, you guys may want to react. You may want to dive in. I'll take your calls now in the second segment here, tell you whatever I know about the broadcast situation, make a couple of calls maybe during the break, and continue to discuss the major breaking news that's going on here. Tony Romo calling it quits, retiring as a Dallas Cowboy, no longer going to play in the NFL, reportedly moving into the broadcast booth. That's a report from Adam Schefter. Assuming that is true, then I am told he is not going to Fox Sports, and that would mean, I believe, that Tony Romo is headed to CBS potentially to replace Phil Sims as the lead overall announced team alongside of Jim Nance. I am Clay Travis. You are listening to Outkick the Coverage. We'll have more on this major breaking news. I'm so surprised here. I'm not even sure if I did this ad, but Geico maybe gets the benefit. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, here's a question. Do you like Major League Baseball? Of course you do. Well, then you need T-Mobile because they're giving away a free year of MLB.TV premium. That's $112.99 value. Absolutely free only for T-Mobile customers. Oh, yeah, here's the best part. With T-Mobile One, unlimited data means unlimited baseball. A lot of you also means unlimited Clay Travis. Here's how you get it. First, get T-Mobile obviously. Second, download the T-Mobile Tuesdays app from the App Store. Third, and this is important, today, that's April 4th, get your free year of MLB.TV premium in the T-Mobile Tuesdays app. Remember, April 4th, that's today, 
Get your free year of MLB.tv premium through the T-Mobile Tuesdays app or go to T-Mobile.com backslash MLB. Top 3% of data users, that's over 30 gigabytes per month, may notice reduced speeds, activate HD feature. Otherwise, video typically streams at 480p. Web-enabled mobile device and qualifying service required. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Blackouts and other restrictions apply. See terms of use for details. Okay, breaking news uh, for those of you waking up across the country. Major breaking news, Tony Romo. There's the breaking news sounder from Fox Sports. Tony Romo has decided to retire from football. He will go into the broadcast booth, according to a report from Adam Schefter, early this morning on ESPN. And I can confirm that Tony Romo is not going to Fox Sports. That would theoretically mean that he is going to CBS, where there have been a report uh, six days ago that uh, this was from Ian Rappaport, that Cowboys quarterback Tony Romo is potentially going to replace Phil Simms as Jim Nance's broadcast partner on the lead overall uh, broadcast spot there. Van Lowry uh, tweets an interesting question. Do you think it's a coincidence that Romo announces this the day after Jim Nance gets done with the Final Four and before the Masters starts? That's actually pretty good timing if you're thinking about it from that perspective. If you were sitting around and you were Tony Romo's representative and you worked at CBS, would it make sense you wouldn't want to step on their major broadcast of the national title game, but on the morning after the national title game, before the Masters, so that it has time to breathe before the Masters officially really gets underway, would it make sense to debut Tony Romo? Taking it a step further, would it make sense potentially to bring Tony Romo on at the Masters, given the fact that Tony Romo is a huge golf fan, and introduce him to the nation there as the new broadcast partner of Jim Nance from the Masters. Just kind of thinking out loud here. Maybe the Masters wouldn't want Tony Romo to step on their event, or maybe Romo has good relationships with the guys at Augusta. He's reportedly a really good dude, well-liked in the world of sports, and he's a huge golfer. So... Just tossing it out there, maybe that's a possibility. Maybe CBS is going to ramp up and debut Tony Romo at the Masters. Just an idea. Uh, Ian Rappaport uh, reports as well. Broncos are moving forward with Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch. The Texans moving forward with Tom Savage and likely the draft for a quarterback. Again, I just ran through all of the names of the available quarterbacks out there that are still on the market. I think you have to assume at this point that probably nobody would make a move this close to the NFL draft. All the teams that potentially could be in the market for a quarterback, whether that's Colin Kaepernick, whether it's Jay Cutler, whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, all of those guys out there who are free agents that I have been running through, all of the attention has gone to Kaepernick, but there are obviously still a lot of other guys that are unsigned at the quarterback position as well. Potentially, you have to imagine that at this point in time, you would wait until after the NFL draft, see what happens. We were talking earlier with Alex Marvez. He said as many as five quarterbacks could go in the first round. Well, nobody's really going to want to sign an additional veteran quarterback, I wouldn't think, until they know what their rookie situation is going to be. Are they going to sign a quarterback? I would think that Bill O'Brien probably going to go into the market and go out and look for a new quarterback there with the Houston Texans. I pulled up the odds market, in case you're wondering, Offshore, I don't know how rapidly this has moved, but at one point the Tex- the Houston Texans were as low as 12-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. They are now up to 
23 to 1. So if there was the expectation, and certainly there was, that they may sign Tony Romo, they have gone from 12 to 1 on the day that they trade, traded Brock Osweiler to 23 to 1 right now. The Denver Broncos, 20 to 1. And in case you're just wondering right now, the Patriots are 5 to 1. The Cowboys are just shy of 10 to 1. Green Bay Packers, 11 and a half to 1. The Seahawks, 11 and a half to 1. The Steelers, 12 and a half to 1. And the Falcons, 13 and a half to 1. Those are the top, uh, what is that, top six teams in terms of odds to win the Super Bowl right now on offshores precipitous decline for the Houston Texans. I have not looked at these future odds frequently enough to know if this is a rapid reaction to the Tony Romo decision on behalf of the Houston Texans or if it's something that has gradually happened over the last several weeks and even a couple of months since there was the initial decision by Tony Romo, uh, by the, sorry, the Texans to trade Brock Osweiler, which made it look as if they were preparing to go get Tony Romo. A little bit of egg on the face now, I would think, for the Houston Texans because they moved Brock Osweiler, now are stuck with Tom Savage, Brandon Whedon, only quarterbacks on their roster, and it would appear that they're probably going to go into the draft and go get a quarterback in the first round. They just look like they're in a messy situation because, one, they signed Brock Osweiler without ever having met him, gave him a ton of guaranteed money, and were so desperate to get rid of him that they had to give up a second-round pick to the Cleveland Browns to do it. And now it looked like they were clearing that space so they could go sign Tony Romo. Tony Romo at the last minute, it appears, may well have spurned the Houston Texans and decided to go into the broadcast booth. And if he is going into the broadcast booth, I believe, based on the people that I have talked to, that it will be with CBS Sports, not with Fox. Potentially he would be the overall number one lead analyst with Jim Nance there at CBS. Great question being asked on Twitter. Is this timing 100% in connection with CBS, you would think so, right? CBS had the national title game late last night. UNC wins the title. Tony Romo has just blasted them right out of the lead story mix here for our show. But Tony Romo uh, takes over from the North Carolina Tar Heels, takes the baton from CBS. This is the little bit of a dead, dead zone before CBS officially gets running with the Masters. In theory, this would be a great time for them to announce that they are signing Tony Romo Because, again, the Cowboy decision has been made. They were going to release him. And Romo has made the decision, according to Adam Schefter, to go ahead and become, again, a broadcaster, retiring as a Dallas Cowboy, ending his career as a quarterback at the age of 37 years old. Danny G and Robert, I've been talking for a while here. Lots of breaking news, lots of different angles to unravel, lots of different angles to carry, cover as well. Anything that I'm missing here that you guys want to add? crazy ripple effect well the one thing that was on my mind because one of my best friends is a huge Cowboys fan and he did not want to see Tony Romo leave the team so that's my first question and and wonder what you think about it now that it's real because we knew that Romo wasn't going to be in the future of the Cowboys but how are Cowboy fans really feeling this morning what if Dak Prescott has a sophomore slump they obviously don't have an insurance policy like Tony Romo anymore. Uh, I was reading that they are going to have $14 million against the salary cap ava- ava- available on June 2nd. So what are the Cowboys planning on doing with that extra money now that they're going to have it? So I'm, we obviously have millions of Cowboys fans in our country. I wonder how they're feeling this morning. Yeah, and we're going to talk to Casey Smith at the bottom of the show, at the bottom of the hour here, and she's a huge Dallas Cowboy fan. She's moved to Boston. She's got a new show debuting in Boston. We'll talk to her about that. But I I do think that from a Dallas Cowboy perspective, 
Romo kind of riding off into the sunset as a cowboy would be preferable, I think, to most of those people. I mean, I, I again, he didn't have the success in the postseason that you would have liked to have seen. Again, the Des Bryant catch non catch is going to be something that that follows him for the rest of his of his career. Because if that catch had been made, how much different could potentially Tony Romo's uh, final act as a Dallas Cowboy quarterback have been? But it's rare that you see a guy go out when he still has his health surrounding him. The other question that's going to be out there, guys, and this is going to continue to stay out there for a while, is, is this retirement going to last? Let's say that Tony Romo makes the decision to go into a broadcast booth and then somebody gets hurt on a contending team. Or he just still has the itch and he wants to scratch it and he wants to go back and be in the quarterback business. Is it going to stick? Right. I mean, we've seen guys retire before. Brett Favre uh, is is obviously one of them, and then decide that he's still got something left. Is Romo going to feel differently in August and September than he does in April? Is that that itch to be scratched? And it's a question that I think a lot of people are going to ask because. If Romo still feels like he has something left, the quarterback position in the NFL, there are so few guys who can play it at a high level. If we get an injury early in the season, if there's an opening that comes available, is Tony Romo really going to stay retired? It's a question probably that will trail him for at least the next year or two, just in particular because you look at guys like Tom Brady. Tom Brady's going to be 39 years old, turning 40 soon, playing at a really high level. Drew Brees playing at a really high level. There are guys out there who believe they can play into the age of 43, 44 years old. If Romo's 37, and he is, is it possible that he still feels like he has something left? That's a question that I think is going to trail him for a while. Again, reports out there, Tony Romo going into the broadcast booth when will he do it? Where will he do it? How will it be announced? You guys said that he's supposed to go on a local Dallas radio station this afternoon. That is correct. He will be on uh, 104.3 The Fan. Uh, okay, so Tony Romo going to go on there, maybe give more of his future plan uh, details there. Let's go ahead and go into trending, and then we'll talk to Casey Smith, longtime Cowboy fan, about what her belief is for Tony Romo's legacy. Welcome back to the Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Let me go ahead and get this True Car ad out as well. Um, uh, with True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and on average save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience let's bring in casey smith k-a-y-c-e smith had a new show debut last night how did that go it went really well clay i'm running on very little sleep but waking up to this tony romo news is making it a lot easier to to wake up and get going this morning thanks for asking all right so you are a lifelong cowboy fan tony romo reportedly going into the broadcast booth what is his legacy from your perspective as a cowboy fan well, Clay, you and I have talked about this a bunch, especially once Dak Prescott really got going in Dallas, is that you know there's no second-guessing that Tony Romo was a talented quarterback. I mean, you can look at his numbers and see that. But from my perspective, and I'm a younger Dallas Cowboys fan, so it's, you know, it's kind of it was spread out before this season. But you know, he just wasn't getting it done in the postseason in Dallas. You know, he's a good quarterback, but he wasn't maybe the quarterback that Dallas needed. So I was ready to move on from him, especially when Dak really started playing well. You have to respect what he was able to do and, and obviously the, the relationship that he had in Dallas. But 
I was ready to move on from him midway through the season. And I think that if you look at this summer, a lot of Cowboys fans were split of, you know, can he even stay healthy if he even goes out there? Can he play a series after the way we've seen him get injured so easily the last few seasons? Um, this is kind of a shocking move, but to be honest, if I'm a Cowboys fan, uh, I mean, I agree with this too. I'm glad that he's not going to go to another team because I think the biggest fear that I had was he was going to go to the Texans or to Denver and have a lot of success and see the guy that we hoped that he would be in Dallas. So I'm okay with the move to the broadcasting booth. I'd rather him get out of the NFL completely if he's not going to be the backup quarterback in Dallas. Do you believe he's actually done? Because that's going to be the next question that a lot of people ask. You can take the next step and say, okay, this guy's 37. Tom Brady's coming up on 40. Drew Brees may play into his 40s as well. If he gets out and he gets into the broadcast booth, and let's say that Dak Prescott got hurt in the preseason, are you telling me that Tony Romo wouldn't immediately put back on the, the, the star and ride back out to the Cowboys' rescue? I think this is an interesting question because I don't necessarily think he wants to be done. I mean, I, I, that's not like some breaking news that I'm saying. I think that you know we've seen just the way that Jerry Jones has handled this situation all year and even the last couple of weeks when the rumors about him replacing Phil Simms came out, my first thought was there's no way that Tony Romo is ready to hang this up, not to mention – I'm not necessarily even sure he'd be great in the booth. I don't think he's near as outgoing as somebody like Peyton Manning would be or as entertaining. I think that this is kind of a forced thing almost, that maybe there's not a lot of options on the table, and this was the first thing that came to him. It's like, okay, this is the easy thing to take. And this whole thing with Jerry Jones not releasing him and then saying he was going to, it just kind of as the world turns. So I wouldn't be shocked at all if during training camp or – before the season starts, something happens and we see Tony Romo on another roster. But at the same time, and I know you mentioned this earlier, there's a lot of available quarterbacks out there. Somebody that you didn't name, which another Texas root is Johnny Manziel's name has been thrown around. We saw oh, Tom my goodness. had yes. talked to him. So, you know, you now look at the Texans who need somebody, and now Johnny's kind of back in this, this mix. I have no idea if that can happen. But the fact that the Saints reportedly talked to him, it's another added element to this. Tony Romo just can't stay healthy. So you mentioned those other guys like Tom Brady. Yeah, he's had some injuries, but Tony Romo is really fragile, to be honest. So I don't know. It's it's kind of a soap opera this morning, and it's interesting to see it unfolding, especially in May. In real time uh, as well. And this is uh, Ann Hollis just tweeted, this is the most Texans thing to ever happen to the Texans. Pay out the ass <laughs> for Osweiler. Trade him in hopes of getting Romo. Romo retires. It is, again, I said if you're a Texans fan, this definitely makes your organization look incompetent because you went and spent spent huge money on Brock Osweiler despite the fact that you had never met him. Okay, you bring in Brock Osweiler. He goes in and just stinks. You're so desperate to get rid of him to clear space for Tony Romo that you trade him. And by trade him, I mean you give the Cleveland Browns a second-round pick effectively just to take Osweiler. You're now stuck with Tom Savage and Brandon Whedon. And then Romo decides to retire, which means now you're going to go into the draft and probably draft somebody in the first or second round as a quarterback. And you're still left with really bad quarterback situation. Maybe, potentially, even worse than the quarterback situation that the Jacksonville Jaguars have. Meanwhile, your two rivals in the division, Tennessee Titans, who never look competent, actually look competent, and the Indianapolis Colts, assuming they go get a decent defense, would be able to gain a ton of ground on you. Because as bad as Osweiler was, he looked a lot better than Tom Savage. Yeah, and this is a very Cleveland-esque move by the Texans because they put all in on Tony Romo and didn't even think, well, maybe Jerry is going to change his mind once they realize that the Texans are all the way in. And that's a very Jerry 
you know, he wants to completely control it. And, you know, you look at Cleveland, too, who has Brock Osweiler, who, you know, it was rumored that they just wanted to, to flip him as soon as they got him because they were going all in on Jimmy Garoppolo uh, from the Patriots, and that looks like that's not going to happen. So there's a lot of situations we're seeing. But if I'm a Texans fan right now, I'm furious. Not that Brock Osweiler was a good choice, but he's a damn good choice in comparison to what they've got. And you look at this year's draft, and there's some options. But, I mean, it's not like you want to bring in a, a rookie and have him immediately start and be the face of that franchise when you're hoping it was going to be Tony Romo and that he could stay healthy. So um, I'm sure that Texans fans are furious right now at home, I can only imagine. Yeah, there's no doubt at all. Okay, well, we've got you, and we're talking to Casey Smith at K-A-Y-C Smith. I just Twitter. You are in Boston now, and I want to hit an NBA really quickly here. Tomorrow night is the uh, is an incredibly huge game. The Celtics are hosting the Cavs. I think whoever wins that game is going to have home court throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs. How excited are people in Boston for this game? People are really excited about the game in general, just because anytime you've got a matchup like this with the one-two seed in the Eastern Conference is is big, and it's at home and it's at the Garden and all the things that come with that. But the interesting angle to me right now, Clay, and you guys have been talking about it, everybody's talking about it, is what's really going on in Cleveland. You know, we saw LeBron and Tristan Thompson have their freak out on the sidelines, which is indicative to me that this has been going on and that the problems uh, in the the Cleveland locker room may be deeper uh, than what we can see. I mean, this happened in front of the cameras. I mean, how many times do you see something like that happen and just say, okay, yeah, I'm sure everything's fine. So I think that's the bigger storyline is what's really going on with the Cavs. Are we really worried that LeBron James isn't going to turn it around in the playoffs? The thing with the Celtics right now is they don't have that Hall of Fame player. Yes, Isaiah Thomas has played really well, and they've got a lot of guys that are clicking right now, but can they really withstand Golden State, whoever it may be, in the playoffs? I think that's the big question, but anytime you've got a game like this and and a matchup where you seem to have the edge, people are going to be excited, and I know it's going to be a great game, or at least that's the hope. So a lot of excitement up here in Boston. Circling back around on Romo, and again, this this story for people who haven't heard it, you're waking up across the country, reports from Adam Schefter that Tony Romo is going into the broadcast booth, who that will be with, where he'll be broadcasting, when that will officially be announced. Evidently, he is going on a Dallas radio station this afternoon uh, and potentially will be announcing his future plans. Do you think, Casey Smith, that Tony Romo has taken his last snap as a starting quarterback in the NFL. If you were betting right now, if we were in Vegas and you had to put money on it, do you think this retirement will stick? No, I don't. I don't. And I don't know if it'll be a year. I don't know if it'll be before he even gets in the booth for CBS. But like I mentioned, Clay, I I just don't see this being a situation that he is 100% on board with. I haven't talked to him. Obviously, I don't know that for a fact. But just seeing uh, the way he handled the Dak Prescott situation and and just knowing kind of how hard that was for him and watching it, I just don't see that he's ready to truly hang it up and go into the booth again, especially because I just don't think he's you know, aspiring broadcaster for his entire life like some of these guys have been. So I would say no, but I'm not really great at betting either, so I'll leave that to you. <laughs> I appreciate it, Casey. Good job on the debut of the show. Go follow Casey at K-A-Y-C-E Smith on Twitter. Um, Man, I, I really don't believe that we've seen the last. I, the more I think about it, the, la- the less I believe that Tony Romo is really never going to start another game in the NFL. I, I, I don't know why. I just find it hard to believe that he's going to ride off into the sunset and actually go into the broadcast booth for the rest of his career. I, I just feel like a job's going to come open and he's going to be interested in it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe his health is, is really as, uh, as, 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 as weak as, as this would suggest. 
But, man, uh, a real bombshell, I would say, this morning as we come to grips with the fact that UNC and Roy Williams win their third title. Instead, the major story, Tony Romo steps all over it. He is officially retiring and going into the broadcast booth, at least according to the report of Adam Schefter. We'll discuss more final segment of the show coming up next. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, what does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. We are reacting again. By the way, North Carolina Tar Heels, they happened to win your NCAA championship last night. The officiating was awful, 44 foul calls. We talked about it for the entire first hour and a half of this show until, boom, bombshell arrives halfway through the show. While we're talking to Alex Marvez, news breaks that Tony Romo is going into the broadcast booth, according to Adam Schefter, immediately starts scrambling. Where's he going to go? What's the job going to be? I think the best theory came from one of our Twitter feeds uh, out there, and I gave him the shout-out earlier, but so many mentions have rolled in since then. I think that all signs would point to CBS. And, and the point of that tweet was, I think, a really smart one. It was, if you were CBS, you wouldn't want this Romo announcement to step on in any way your national title broadcast, which was aired last night. UNC beats Gonzaga. Awful game. Nobody can make a shot. But UNC and Roy Williams get their third national championship. Really big deal for Roy Williams to pass Dean Smith. But you wouldn't want to step on that. That's a major signature event for CBS Sports. And you probably wouldn't want to step on the Masters, which starts on Thursday and really kind of kicks off, let's be honest, basically you go straight from the national title game to the Masters. Tony Romo's a big golfer, reports out there from Jim Rapoport six days ago that potentially Tony Romo would be replacing Phil Sims. That's a tough job to pass up. So, if you were trying to read the tea leaves right now, all signs would seem to point towards Tony Romo joining CBS. Whew. And that, then the next step is going to be, is Tony Romo going to stay at CBS? Continue to call games for the next 15 or 20 years? Or, like me, are you somewhat skeptical of this Tony Romo retirement announcement, given the fact that he's only 37 years old, Tom Brady approaching 40 and having a great deal of success. Obviously, there are a lot of different angles that could develop in the NFL quarterbacking market still to come. So, again, maybe five guys getting drafted in the first round, but this is major news if you are a Houston Texans fan or Denver Broncos fan because the expectation, fair or not, had been that both of those teams were aggressively pursuing Romo. I think it's clear that the Texans were. The Texans' moves make no sense unless you believe they thought they were going to go get Tony Romo. Why in the world would you trade Brock Osweiler? As bad as Osweiler is, you're still on the hook for his contract, right? In some sense, some dollar figure of it. And you gave up a second-round pick just to get rid of him and try to free up some of that money on off your books. And I don't think there's a lot of people out there, Houston Tech fans or anybody else, who feel like Tom Savage is the future of that franchise. And then you start to ask the question, well, certainly Brandon Whedon's not. He's been a perpetual backup of, it seems like, every team in the NFL so far. So are the Houston Texans now going to go back into the draft and go get a quarterback in the first round? Maybe. What does Bill O'Brien want? Every quarterback that he's had has had issues so far in that offense. Is there a guy out there that makes sense for him? Is it possible that Jay Cutler, Colin Kaepernick, um, whether it's RG3, 
whether it's uh, Fitzpatrick. There are so many quarterbacks, while uh, Colin Kaepernick has soaked up all of the attention in the atmosphere, there are so many quarterbacks out there that everybody would seem to at least be able to consider. None of those guys are great, but there's a huge demand still for quarterback positions unless you're fortunate enough to be a fan or GM or member of a team of about 12 teams out there that have good NFL starting quarterbacks. So that in and of itself is a, is a fascinating question that remains to be seen. Where exactly where Ro- will Romo go? Will he stay in the broadcast booth? Let's go around the horn and do a poll on this. I don't, I, just, I don't believe that we have seen Tony Romo take his last snap as a starter in the NFL. As much as he may think that the broadcast booth is his career right now, it's April. We haven't had the draft yet. We haven't had quarterback injuries. Remember what happened with Teddy Bridgewater. Everything looked great for Teddy Bridgewater at Minnesota. In training camp, he suffers a gruesome knee injury, and everything got thrown into an uproar at Minnesota. You have a Sean Hill start a game. Then you trade for Sam Bradford. All it took was one injury, and all the machinations started. You know that there will be at least one, probably more than one team, in the NFL that will have a serious injury at the quarterback position, and I just find it hard to believe that Tony Romo is going to be able to say no. I, I really do. Now, maybe his health situation is worse than we know. Maybe he wouldn't be able to pass physicals. But that seems unlikely considering he came out on the field late in the season for the Dallas Cowboys and led them on a touchdown drive. I tend to think that Tony Romo still has some football left in him. And it's rare. It's rare that guys leave this game at the quarterback position with a lot left at at quarterback, right? Peyton Manning basically had nothing left when he rode off into the sunset. John Elway didn't have much left. These guys can play a long time. Warren Moon, you know, Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks, they typically don't ride off into the sunset with something left still in the in the holster. And I just find it hard to believe that Tony Romo is done. Danny G and Robert going around the horn. Are you with me? Do you believe Tony Romo has taken his last snap as an NFL starter? It makes sense because, like you said, when he saw action at the end of last season when Dallas decided to rest some of their starters, he sure looked good. I mean, he looked like he could play for another three years at least in the NFL. And he's got more he wants to accomplish in the league, I'm sure. You know, him on the field in a Super Bowl, he hasn't got to experience that. So why would you want to leave the league when you still have something in the tank and you haven't accomplished that goal yet? Yeah, 100%. And especially maybe he didn't think the Texans or the Broncos were the right fit. Maybe there wasn't very much demand that he was sitting seeing out there. I feel like the longer you, the closer it gets to the season, the more desperate teams get about their quarterback situation, right? If you're the Houston Texans and you go draft a young quarterback and you're sitting around with Tom Savage and you're saying, boy, Tom Savage is a six-win quarterback in this league. Or you're out there with the Denver Broncos and you're saying, man, are we really going to roll with Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch? Or somebody gets injured at another quarterback position that people think is on a team that could win a championship? I just feel like the Romo demand could increase before he ever calls a game because he has a rare talent. He can play the quarterback position if he's healthy at a much higher level than just about anybody else in the world. And if he's still got some some juice left, it's hard for me to believe that he's going to ride off into the sunset and this will be goodbye and he'll never take another snap as a starter in the NFL. Major breaking news. I appreciate you guys hanging with us. Congratulations, North Carolina Tar Heels and to Gonzaga for proving that they could get there. Roy Williams gets his third title, but the major news, Tony Romo going into broadcasting, according to Adam Schefter. Where will he be? Will he take his, has he taken his final snap? More to come. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. 
Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now.